So everybody, if you heard last week's episode, you heard Lauren blowing my mind, introducing me to, I mean, let's just say it, one of the greatest songs of the modern era. <laughs> A masterpiece. Uh, but it was another song that I talked about in that introduction that got some uh, some feedback on Facebook. Oh, no. Both, both for and against. And I just want to take this space and time to announce the um, Progressive of Power Wonderful Christmas Time Challenge. So here's what's going to happen, okay? I'm going to talk to every guest who's been on this show, working backwards through the seasons, and I'm going to solicit their opinions on this song. Because right now we're one and one, and we'll introduce the four in a minute. But I'm going to ask everybody what they think of this song. Now, if more people say they like it, I will never say a bad word about Wonderful Christmas Time again. In fact, I will apologize to Sir Paul McCartney for our holiday episode. Okay, I have, like, clarifying questions. Yeah. Do I have to like it unironically if I like it? Oh, that's a good question. I was thinking of only asking what do you think of the song so as to not prime Okay, you're trying to not contaminate the data. Correct. So I don't know if someone, I mean, I would count that as liking it. Well, because I think it's one of the most repetitive and annoying songs ever, but I love dancing to it because it is so repetitive and annoying that doing like a thrash through the same words just over and over is actually really fun. And so I've turned that song into a positive experience for myself. Okay. But I wouldn't say I like it, you know? So mm. what side of the tally do I go on? Well, I think that last sentence means that, that you're on the negative side. But you and I, I don't think we, we would be tiebreakers only because I want to know what the guests have to say. Because maybe as, as our today's guest posited, maybe I'm being unfair and Grinch-like. Well, you're also really good at turning this show into your own personal engine for topics that have nothing to do with Shira. And right. this is probably <laughs> like, the this is your opus right here. <laughs> not, not at all like last week when everything was very related to everything Shira, right, last Lauren? Week, last week was my opus. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of opuses, here's the show. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of She-Ra Progressive of Power. My name is Lauren. My name is Eric. And this week we'll be talking about the episode Pulse. We are clipping right through this season, but there are 13 episodes, so... Not even halfway, right? No, it's a it's a big season. I was looking at my calendar and realizing it only premiered like three weeks ago. It feels like it's been forever since season four came out. Oh, yeah. And like not to pull the curtain back a little bit, but we're doing a lot of these episodes out of order this season to accommodate some special guests. So there is a lot to look forward to, but it's messing with my sense of time. That's right. But then some episodes we do the week that we drop them, like <laughs> this one. Yeah, it's fine. It's all fine. We're okay. Hey, Eric, uh, who did you uh, bring on the show today? We have someone pretty special in the room with us. Once again, not an L.A. guest. Yeah, uh, I brought my friend Lauren. She's been watching Shira with me for the last three years or so. Wow, she sounds really cool. What are some of her hobbies? Um, I would say cosplay and uh, Kool-Aid Man <laughs> <laughs> and podcasting. Oh, I thought I heard you say pop. I thought you were going to say Pop-Tarts because uh, well, that would be correct, too. Is that a hobby? Or is just a, it a, seems to be at a least drug. a weekly one. <laughs> oh, I feel um, very attacked and seen. So we have someone who we've we've read their material on the show before, and I think I've mentioned uh, some of the creative stuff this gentleman is up to that I have helped with. Everybody, please welcome to the show my friend and podcaster Sean Rose. Hello, hi, Sean. hello. Thank you very much for for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. Sean is uh, a very great listener and a very cool creative person in his own right, and it's very nice to be able to talk to you. Wow, that's very that's very nice of you to say. Thank you. I'm I'm very very excited. Uh, I took I took notes on this episode. Got them all here. And you the have episode that we're wa- that we're talking about. You have catcher art. Yeah, I, I have doodles. Because yeah. So I, that's, well, that's just what happens. <laughs> we always we're going to talk to you about Shira, but I want to set up a couple uh, some context right. things first. All right. So Sean, you have uh, the second season of a podcast that you have worked very hard on premiering today. Yes. Oh, that would be today. You're right. Yeah. Uh, yes. So uh, my podcast is called The Hornet's Nest. Uh, it is a show about a former supervillain who becomes the host of a classic rock radio show in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, 
and uh, it is a uh, we try to make it sound like an actual radio show. We have like callers. We have our friends call in and play characters and, and that sort of thing. Uh, Lauren has been a caller on the show twice. Uh, twice. I'm honored to say twice, uh, which is very exciting. And Eric you, has produced it. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's uh, it is a lot of fun. I'm very excited for the new. It's going to be eight new episodes. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited. It's so what, be great. like obliquely, because I know you don't want to give away spoilers. Because sure. it's actually pretty like um, considerately plotted. Like you, you really think it, about the it arts. is. Yeah, it is for the most part. Um, I just because I I really wanted it to feel like a real radio show. It is a little bit loosey goosey sometimes. Um, like the episode that should be coming out today is is going to be. Pretty loose in a lot of ways, but there is a there is an undercurring plot in in all of it. So, so what, there are consistent uh, there's reoccurring characters and yeah. So like, what can listeners like? Where is Doctor Hornet as the season opens? <laughs> uh, the last season. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing just because um, a lot of bad things happened. All right, so so, so Doctor Hornet. The, I I play Doctor Hornet. I play the the, the main character. Um, he was a character I used to do on this this old show called The Telethon that I did in Chicago. Uh, we brought him back for this, uh, and he's just kind of a he he's kind of uh, I don't know me making fun of myself when I was like 20 and I was like really dumb and snobby about like rock music and so it's a lot of me just kind of doing it. so that's kind of how he is he's just very stuck in his ways um, but I'd say we're the the last season left off the last thing that happened is that he uh, he booked a, a really terrible uh, racist comedian at a at a, at a summer event. Uh, and um, it's not really, I guess, plot related to this one. But this, the, the overarching plot, without spoiling anything, like you said, is uh, that he is uh, uh, opening his own rock club uh, in in northern Connecticut, uh, the Shabu Inn. And uh, the various things that happen, uh, perhaps not extremely well in that. But there's also uh, there's a lot of various things. Uh, there's an episode about Gerald Tolkien a little bit. There's an episode about... Uh, there's a very strange episode about the afterlife. Uh, there's a whole lot of stuff, uh, a lot of various things. Yeah, I really like the way the show mixes. Uh, it, it like it absolutely the music comes from the heart. Like the, all the things you're saying in the analogy possesses true. Oh yeah. But the, also, the super heroic stuff is is nice for fans of the genre. Yeah, it's it's the I would say I work with uh, my friend Steve Winchell. He's my uh, uh, creative partner on on it, and I'd say my my side of it is more the superhero part, and excuse me, the the music part. Steve's side is more the superhero part, but okay. we, we kind of do the, you know, but uh, yeah, I, just because I can just rattle off about rock music bullshit so a lot. Sha- Sean, one of the defenders of Wonderful Christmas. Time. I am not a defender. Now, <laughs> we have to fix this. Well, There's are, been a lot of talk here. You are I, very good at picking guests, I want to say, because they asked me to come back for the Tolkien episode. And, uh, you know, as I sat there wearing my even star necklace, holding my smog blanket that I bought my partner and leafing through my book of Elvish language, I was like, why would you call me for this? I have no idea. And so I had a real fun time. And the gauge by which I judge a podcast or, frankly, most art is does it make me laugh while I'm experiencing it? And I have laughed both times while calling into this show. So it, I think you can hear the fun in it because we are having it while we do it. I, I would agree, and you were great. Uh, the there were there were parts of your call that I'm very sad that we had to cut because we were just laughing too much <laughs> on our end, and I was just like, oh god, damn it! Like this is, you went off on like this thing about fan fiction for like a while, and I was like, oh, I wanted to keep that so bad, and we had to cut it, and I was very I was very sad. But uh, what's there is 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 great. I'm very excited. So, so I have to know what is uh, you know we try to mix up the music on this show actually just today on Facebook Lauren posted our like our Spotify playlist of intro songs I've used. Yes. What does uh what does Dr. Hornet think of the music on this show? What would Dr. Hornet think? Oh god. I don't want to It's all a little do a like a oh oh. <laughs> well, Dr. Hornet who is a real person who is different than me, what would he I, 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 it gets into like a uh, <laughs> uh like a uh what the lamb chop territory? Yeah, yeah, right. Um 
Uh, he'd be all right with what. There's been some uh, some 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 rock and stuff, right? Yeah. 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 There's some heart. Unfortunately, like what you're asking is basically what would myself as like a 20 year old think? <laughs> and it's like I don't even want to know. It's horrifying to think about. Yeah. It's like oh no. It's terrifying. Uh, I recognize like that personality though because one of the parts of my backstory is that when I was in college, I was a on air NPR personality. Wow. And the only reason I got to do that and be on WCBU in Peoria was because I originally tried to have a radio show on the college campus, like Alternative Rock Station, and my taste in music was not obscure enough. The music I liked was too mainstream and too many people had heard it, so I could not be on the college radio station. So instead of making, you know, free broadcasts from Bradley, NPR paid me. So y'all can suck it. Wow, those hip college kids. I have a similar. In your jeans. <laughs> and you now, hear that? And, NP, like NPR is sort of niche in its own right. <laughs> I have a similar college radio story, actually, although I did get to be an on-air person. But um, I definitely was the classic rock kid at uh, at the college radio station. I remember recording, like, you'd have to go through, like, a crash course DJ school, basically, where you would bring in your own music instead of the station music. And all my shit was, like, Van Halen and Journey, and I remember the head DJ being like, you know more about music than anybody here, but you need to cool it with the classic rock. Wow. But I, uh, I Wow. See, now that would, uh, that would make Dr. Hornet very upset. It would. Um, yeah. That's the one thing I really wish I had done. I really wish I had done, that's like, I did a, a comic for the, the, my college newspaper, and I did, like, all this performing stuff, which was great, but I never did the... I never did the radio, and I kind of wish I had because that would have been pretty neat. It was really transformative, but also this was – so this was 2005 I did it, winter 2005. Wow. And, uh, the Bush era. Uh, it was. Different time. And I feel like what I think is cool in music is always rooted in winter 2005 because that changed my taste where I, I fell in love with like the new pornographers. Oh, yeah. Ockerville River, Rilo Kiley, Coheed and Cambria. X and Y by uh, Coldplay. <laughs> we, actually, else? Coldplay and Green Day were two of the bands that we had the biggest fights about whether we should play. Wow. Yeah. Coldplay did not make the cut on our station, but Green Day did. That's a shame. Yeah. Well, Green Day was, that was what? American, American Idiot. Idiot. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, Jesus yeah. of Suburbia was a big fight, and uh, it got wow. there. Wow. We got there. Jesus, okay. Yeah. Oh, so that's like a nine-minute song. Yeah. Did you play the whole thing? Yeah. All right. It was a pretty tight station. That's when you go to the bathroom is when you put the nine-minute song on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh. There was one pretty night cool where the, the uh, studio computer died. At, like This is when I did the overnight, so 3 a.m. So 4 a.m., the studio computer died. And the it air just went dead. And I called the engineer who was like a frat guy. And I woke him up and he was like, I don't want to deal with this right now. Just like play any CDs you have. And all the CDs I had were like classic rock. So finally I yeah. was like, all right, Skid Row, Journey, wow. Bon Jovi. Yeah. Just, that's, uh, you just, that's, so you just became the, 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 like the mainstream classic rock station. Just for like yeah, 4 to 6 a.m. You know in Champagne. Nothing wrong with that. No, nothing no. at all. I, I would always, when I left to go home at 6 a.m., I would always put on the Cars Drive as my final oh, song, and I would listen to it as I drove home. Wolf Parade? Didn't they have that album then? Uh, yeah, Parade? Sons and Daughters of Lonely Ghosts was a go. big hit on our station. There was, <laughs> when did that Arctic Monkeys album come out? I think that— Because I was hearing that, like, all the time. My roommate would play that all the time. <laughs> this is very, getting very inside Arctic baseball. Monkeys album. I'm, I'm imagining, like, the editing of this, just, like, you guys fading out. <laughs> yeah. And then suddenly Please. the topic coming back. Please around. fade me out. <laughs> what are we For the love of God. Well, I told you that I, 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 could, I could just keep talking about this and not stop. Well, Sean, I could ask you about Jonathan Frakes, but we should probably oh, please get... For, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> we should probably Fuck. get to Shira. Don't was, ask me about Jonathan I Frakes. I was told that that was like a big part of why you were asking him to come on the show. No, in not the a big part. Place. I just think it's a fun story. Do you want to tell a quick story I, about your there is no. There is no... If I were to tell you the entire backstory that led to that joke, I would be here for like 12 hours because it's – I will not explain it. My friends uh, – all I'll say is that I have friends that like to to troll me a lot uh, and uh, due to a set of circumstances, they paid uh, Jonathan Frakes on Cameo to say a really stupid inside joke uh, to me. Um, and mentioned that he was the director of the Drumhead for some reason. So now I can't now I can't watch the the Drumhead without thinking about this dumb joke. Uh, and Jonathan Frakes saying, "Hey, Sean, 
at the beginning of this video. Thank God he didn't say my last name. I'm I'm so relieved because I can at least pretend he was talking about a different Sean. Oh my God! Yeah. Okay. Jonathan Frakes is very talented. Uh, I enjoy his work. Uh, he's going to be in the Picard show. Yeah, that's exciting. Coming back. Great. 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 That's all I have to say. Cut everything else out. So Sean, edit. Uh, edit point. Edit point. Hey Sean, this is Jonathan Frakes, director of the Star Trek episode "The Drumhead." I'd just like to give a big congratulations to the 2020 World Series champions, the New York Yankees. You're safe. Live long and prosper. Sean, tell us about your history with She-Ra. My understanding is you started watching with Netflix, right? Uh, yes. Um, so I don't have a history with the original show. Um, I've only seen little bits and pieces. Uh, so it's, I think, I don't know if it's an age thing. Um, I was maybe a little too young for it. Um, but uh, I just know, like, here and there, little things. But um, but the new show, uh, it was, I mean, honestly, it was uh, through listening to the pod- to your podcast Aww. that I got interested wow. in it. Um, it's kind of funny. I actually listened to your podcast for a long time before I actually tried watching the show. I could use some context. Know, yeah, At some point, I'd like yeah, to know what they're talking about. I don't about. know why it took me a while. I was just kind of like, oh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll watch it sometime. Oh. Um, but, uh, yeah. But I, I, I find it very interesting. Well, I, I would say that I I think I liked – regarding your, your podcast, I liked listening to it just because I feel very similarly in terms of uh, – analyzing and no offense intended sometimes overanalyzing things that you kind of grew up with and you really care about um that like shaped you as a person um i do that with a lot of media that i grew up with um so i very much relate to that and especially putting it in a political context um that's something i do uh all the time uh maybe too much but uh, but yeah, like that's just something that really uh, connected with me. So it was like, yeah, this is uh, I'm gonna have to check it out. But I really uh, the the new Netflix show is uh, I I, uh, I I connected right with it, loving it. So you are in in particular a Catra fan, correct? Yeah, I really like Catra a lot. Um, it's hard for me to say that in the context of this new season uh, because she's really bad um, in this <laughs> season, um, like really like. Oh man, it's like it became uh, kind of hard to watch at times. But I, I mean, last season too, it was the same way. But um, I think for me, I do. I think I do find myself. Um, I enjoy characters that are kind of difficult and kind of. Uh, I, I I made the comparison in the the letter that I wrote to you guys about uh, Vegeta from Dragon Ball Z, uh, who was like my favorite. Uh, character when I was like 12 years old Uh, and it was the same thing where it's like this character is like such a prick (laughs) like they keep making decisions that are just like oh no don't do that like what are you doing please don't do that no 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 like just you're just watching and it's like no 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 don't do that and it's just like they just can't they kind of just can't get out of their own way Um, and I'm kind of I'm not, I don't know what it is. I'm kind of I'm just drawn to that. But I just I, yeah I really like her. I really like uh, her uh, voice actor. Um, what's the name of her voice actor? I'm sorry. A J Mitchell. Yeah, she's she's great. Um, and uh, I think that's probably also I would say probably Glimmer is my favorite uh, good character, quote unquote, um, because it's kind of for similar reasons. Not in she's not nearly the same as Catra, but she's also I would say one of the more. Uh, I don't know, grumpier main characters. I don't mean that in the in a in a bad way. What a good episode to have you on because this is really a banner show for both of them. Yeah, it it yeah yeah you're right. That's interesting that you find season four Catra to be maybe more problematic than season three where she decides to unwrite reality. I know, right? <laughs> I, I think season four though. I see that point. She does that act. And does not come back from it at all this season. No. The fact that she feels no remorse and then continues to be the way she is, I think, does make it worse. Whereas, like, an Entrapta, at the very last second of season three, wanted to pull back from the choice. Katra feels great about her decisions. Is there a certain episode 
that, or maybe it's this one where you feel that uh, Catra's actions start to go off the deep end and harder to, uh, I don't know, if, I'm sure you still empathize with her, but harder to like support. Oh yeah, um, probably the, the I, I don't know, I, I don't think she's, I don't see her arc necessarily ending well. I thought maybe there was maybe a little more hope for kind of a redemption at some point, but pretty much every time she's kind of been given a fork in the road, she's gone in the worst direction. Um, the episode before this one is pretty rough. Like I, I went back and rewatched just some of the, the catcher parts in it to kind of refresh myself as to where she was at. And uh, yeah, that's when she's uh, very mean to Scorpia. Um, very much so. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, and it's sometimes it's, I did have one moment like earlier in the season where I admittedly, when she was kind of, uh, messing up Hordak at the end of the first episode, I actually got like kind of excited for a second. <laughs> I was just like, "Oh, whoa! She's gonna, she's gonna, she's gonna get Hordak. She's gonna, she's gonna take over." And I got like, admittedly, kind of excited for a minute. <laughs> I kind of marked out for a second, um, well, but that I didn't last for very long. I felt the same way, and I would have supported that choice if they're gonna make her be so evil that she undoes reality. Just give her the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that calling back the Catra Scorpia scene from last episode maybe provides good context for this episode and Catra in the season. And I'm curious, I feel like we should explicitly revisit Trin's assessment that Scorpia is the problematic one in their relationship because Catra sets clear boundaries. Well, let's dive into what episode we're talking about and then I think start that conversation because I agree but there are some quotes and moments from here that are going to feed into that real big. Great. So today we're talking about Pulse. Uh, Pulse is essentially the um, reveal from the end of last episode that Double Trouble is masquerading as Flutterina starts to manifest as trouble for the rebellion because anywhere they go, Catra's like one step ahead and she's developed this new super robot that kind of like Mega Man cannon style charges up and emits a big explosion that hurts everybody in its way. And no matter what they do, the rebels can't really get the drop on the horde and they always seem to be getting ambushed and being stopped. Uh, but through a chance encounter with Shadow Weaver, Glimmer learns some new magic that helps her realize that, like, Catra is orchestrating everything from the secret base in the Whispering Woods. And so kind of using her friends as a decoy, um, while the rebels go out to get ambushed again by these pulse robots, Glimmer teleports to Catra's cave by herself, and the two have this awesome fight. And, uh, Kat, like, the robots get blowed up real good. And Catra goes back to the fright zone, uh, you know, contextualizing and is like, well, I'm glad that we sh showed Hordak that these robots don't win battles like they're supposed to, but like pretty good setback for the Horde there. So that's essentially this episode. So in terms of your question about Scorpia being problematic because Catra sets boundaries, I don't want to undo that. I don't want to pull any like whataboutism because I think the problematic nature of Scorpia's type of friendship can still stand while still acknowledging Catra goes way far in this season with attacking people when their boundaries are up in a way that I don't think we observed so strongly before. Like she physically hurts Emily, I think Scorpia at one point, and definitely lashes out at Kyle, Rogelio, and Lonnie when they're all just trying to be friends with her and mind their own business. And so if that is a critique, and it is, like boundary breaking means you're a bad friend, Catra is example number one this season for sure. Uh, Scorpia, I, I still, yeah, I don't, I don't think she gets a free pass either for sure, but we don't spend a lot of time with Scorpia trying to reach out to people, as we'll see later. What I find fascinating is that in this episode, there's a little bit of Catra opening up to a new person because Double Trouble is really trying to make Catra laugh. And at first, Catra is very offended by it, saying uh, they have this great exchange where uh, Double Trouble says, this is supposed to be fun. Catra says, this is supposed to be war. And then Double Trouble says, no reason it can't be both, which is great. Eventually, Double Trouble's impressions get Catra to laugh. And Double Trouble kind of takes joy in that, 
which I think Catra takes as a sign of maybe friendship because Catra seems ready to let her guard down. But Double Trouble at the end of the episode reminds us that they're just a mercenary and only care about the coin. So I think this is a pretty fascinating idea that, you know, especially because Catra at the end, uh, Glimmer basically leaves her to burn, although not so violently, but like she's in a pretty rough spot when Glimmer defeats her and Double Trouble comes and saves Catra. And Catra, I think, feels close to Double Trouble because Double Trouble saves her. But Double Trouble doesn't see it as a friendship move, I don't think. No, the second time I watched this episode, I was very hurt for Catra in that moment because Double Trouble, I think, essentially asks for bonus pay for saving Catra's life. And so they make uh, no uncertain terms that this is a business relationship. And just it just reminds Catra that her non-business relationships are gone. Yeah, I, I wrote down, uh, fuck you, pay me in my notes. <laughs> and also, Catra has to pay to have a friend. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, that's really that's it. That's what I wrote down. Um, yeah, because it's like, um, yeah, y- you can kind of tell that, like, yeah, Catra really seems to – is, like, kind of like, oh, maybe we're, like – she's she is, like, opening up slightly. And it's like – she can't, you know – like, she doesn't really have any – who does she have left who are, like, her friends at all, really, at this point? Because she's just kind of pushed everyone else away at, like, Scorpia especially. And, you know, not to spoil anything later on, but, like – you know, really not. And so it's like, it's like who you think that she, like, but she clearly has needs companionship. Like it's, it showed a lot that as much as she kind of puts the exterior on, she really does want to have friends. Um, so much of what she's doing is because she's just angry about Adora leaving her. And it's just, that's kind of the motivation behind a lot of what she does. And it's, yeah, it's just sad. Yeah, it, she's this fascinating type of character who, despite being, or maybe because of being so mistreated or or abandoned by other people in her life, is so desperate to welcome other people in, despite her, like, rough facade. And I just, I gotta feel like this thing with Double Trouble is not gonna turn out for Catra. To not drop the Scorpia point, I thought of something just now for the first time. And it is that Scorpia is currently kind of housing Emily. And it gives Scorpia this chance to care for something and have companionship that may or may not necessarily have, like, top-tier emotions or sentience of its own. Like, what Emily feels and doesn't feel and thinks and doesn't think is kind of ambiguous. And what I'm thinking is Scorpia didn't need a friend. Scorpia needed a pet. And she's always calling Scorpia kitty and wildcat. And I, I do wonder, like, I'm kind of smiling because it's kind of funny, but it's also very sad. The type, of, the type of fulfillment Scorpia needed was offering care to a pet. And now she has it instead of petting a Catra. <laughs> uh, yeah. Here's your stop, kitten. What are you going to tell your boss about all his shiny new bots getting blown up? I'm going to say you're welcome for testing them before we moved ahead with our big plan. <laughs> Obviously, they were garbage. Hey, thank you, by the way, for saving me. I don't know what I would have done if you hadn't shown up. Well, I live to serve. For a price, of course. So we see uh, a lot of characters in this episode that don't often get the spotlight, namely Natasha and Spinnerella. And their relationship is really uh, interesting to watch in this episode, too. I don't know how I feel about it, actually. My, my opinions are still sort of baking about the bickering and the... She's competitive. Can't you see how competitive she is? She's worse than me. And then that sort of being conceded at the end. Uh, I guess due to personal experience, bickering, battly relationships like... They're not healthy for me to watch right now. So maybe someone else can pipe in. Well, I wanted to talk about this, too, because you're right that we rarely see them. And my question is, why do you think that is? This may have been something you said in an earlier episode, Lauren, and if so, credit to you. But is it because they're, like, slightly older? Or is it because we kind of assume they have their shit together so they're not maybe as interesting as the younger, more hormonal princesses? But then this episode, they kind of don't. But their fighting is very much that of, like, a married couple. So it's almost like 
narratively yes. their relationship is settled, right? So there's not as much drama. There's not as much, I don't know, of a fulcrum uh, leading them into interesting, like, hormonal experiences like the other characters. Well, they talk about no one comes to game night anymore, and it's because you serve vegetables. And so my assumption, which I think some of our DreamWorks friends have actually said, too, is that they have their own house somewhere, and they spend most (laughs) of their time there. And they do hosting there, and they do meal prep there, and they're just not a part of the action all the time. They have their own domestic thing going. And I think we can assume they may have been part of the first Princess Alliance. They were, yeah. So, yeah. Because they were there from the beginning, right? Right, yeah. They they didn't get a recruitment episode. They were just around. That was, I think that was part of their arc, was that they never left, and they were sort of looked down upon as, well, great, they stayed, but they're the crappiest princesses. It didn't even matter that they stayed. And that's rude, because we see them kick a lot of ass this episode. But it is kind of interesting that they don't get more to do. And I, you would think, like, maybe it's because they are already, like, they're healthier. But you're, I'm hearing you say, well, they're not really. Like, you don't really like this relationship dynamic. It's, I don't know if it's about like or don't like. It just represents a phase that I went through in a marriage that didn't go well for me. And so I have a hard time seeing the the forest through the trees, I think. They might very well navigate that bickering married couple whole vibe just fine. Maybe they're fine. There is an implication from other characters that they don't uh, love spending time with them. Right. Like, because Adora's with them at the end, and they're like, hey, Adora, don't you agree? And she's just like, she has that face, and she's like, oh, oh, no. Like, please don't, please don't include me in this. Uh, so there is, like, sort of a... Well, and yeah, I mean, they say it. They say, like, oh, nobody comes over for game night anymore. And it's like, oh. Yeah. The show's kind of like punking their own characters, I feel like. It's an interesting choice. And it is, I mean, I think it is meant to be played for comedy, but there's not, like, an overabundance of characters on the show. You know, it's not like the original where there's, like, 32 action figures you have to fit in. There's, like, 10. So it's weird that the two of them are never around. You want to fight some bots. See, Adora? She is just as competitive as I am. See, this is why no one comes to game night anymore. Adora, tell her. Oh, I don't... Maybe people don't come to game night because you insist on serving vegetable platters. No one likes vegetable platters. Right, Adora? Shadow Weaver makes a cool return in this episode. Yes, another character that has some great moments. This is the episode with, uh, those are daisies. I find them cheerful. I love that this whole season, everything Shadow Weaver says is this double-edged sword of, like, it has a meaning on the surface where she's being very obesant and, like, recognizing the ra- uh, like her captivity, but she very clearly is back to having an agenda, and her agenda is super glimmer. Yeah, the fact that she was sort of making, like, witch's brew, alchemy sort of stuff just under the radar while everyone could see her do it was mind-blowing. And... Then just as they kind of gotcha her on it, she gotchas you back with the Daisy's comment. Uh, I just I just love her. She's my favorite. And watching her arc with Glimmer, I think, even though it's pretty dark, is my favorite thing to watch this season. I agree with that. Uh, yeah, Sean is a Glimmer fan. What do you think of what she's got going on here? Uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm obviously um, mixed because obviously there is a... Uh, I mean, this this episode, again, I, I feel bad because I feel like I'm going to keep spoiling things that happen later on. Um, it is the 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 starts of a of a, a rift between Glimmer and Adora. That is kind of really I, I, I don't know if it necessarily starts here, but like you can really there's a tension there. And it's a lot of that is because Glimmer is working with Shadow Weaver and. On the on the one hand, it's cool that she's gets to do all this magic stuff, and she's like Shadow Weaver's like helping her out with that. But yeah, uh, clearly uh, she's up to something. <laughs> well, there's a couple of points here. For one, this dynamic between Glimmer and Shadow Weaver really starts answering some questions that I had ages ago. Because if you recall, when we saw Shadow Weaver's origin story, I was ready to step up to the plate and be like. Maybe they should have believed her, though. Like, maybe she's got a point. And maybe even though she's kind of a manipulator and kind of a power seeker, she wasn't wrong. 
And I've, I've always felt that about Shadow Weaver. And in this episode, we're going there again. And Glimmer is the, the voice advocating that. Glimmer is saying, it's just magic. It's just a location spell. It can help us if it keeps us from hurting more people than would have been hurt otherwise. What could be bad about it? And that's, again, it's a really good point. And she does, like, Catra's plan would have worked if Shadow Weaver hadn't helped Glimmer, like, learn. Yeah, they were, they were going in the wrong, they were, like, lost out there. They were yeah. in the wrong place. So I agree with you. And I, I, I think that's what makes Shadow Weaver so compelling, though, is that she's not. And same thing for the end of the last season, too. Is well, that I want to be clear true. that a Shadow Weaver is using, like, abuse tactics. I think the idea of it's just a little location spell and it's what you deserve is, like, very grooming. And so she's still super grooming Glimmer in a way that's not okay. But, man, she reels me right in with the, like, Oh, but maybe. Right. I mean, yeah. It is, like I said, it is compelling, even though it's horrible. <laughs> and it's the same. Well, it's it's similar to what she was doing to her, her dad, right? From from what I recall yep. in the backstory episode. It's like she's clearly like, it's just like the obvious move for her. And really. she uses that. She keeps talking about Micah and she knows that that gets at Glimmer. So It's also kind of a propaganda tactic almost asking Glimmer these, you know, open-ended questions. What kind of queen do you want to be? Because in the end, then, Glimmer believes that any ideas that they come up with are Glimmer's ideas and not Shadow Weaver. Right. That's the kind of tactic a person uses when they want the spotlight taken off of them. But they still want to be the one calling the shots. Speaking of abuse, I think this episode, if there was any doubt, makes clear what Shadow Weaver really thinks of Catra. Because Glimmer has that line, something like, to catch Catra, we need to think like Catra. And what does Shadow Weaver say? She gets really angry. She loses her cool. And she's like, no. Oh, yeah. She just throws that out. I noticed that the last time I watched it. Isn't that It's like, no, you don't. You don't need yeah. to think like Catra. Yeah. You don't need to think like Catra. Damn. Even from half a world apart, ugh, half a world apart, you do not... Care. You don't even pretend to like Catra. Good lord. Yeah, it's just like oh yeah, yeah no no you're you're you got magic powers. Don't worry about it. Uh, use your magic powers. You know Catra best. She's been two steps ahead this entire time. Show me how to think like she does, so I can figure out her next move before anyone else gets hurt. You don't need to think like Catra. I told you you're more powerful than you know. Are you willing to use your power? So this show kind of has built a Catra Glimmer rivalry that I think comes to a nice head in this episode. Uh, did you enjoy their battle, Sean? I did. I think it's. Um, I think what I kind of is another thing that I like about Catra in that, uh, in terms of, I guess you would say like her battle style, quote unquote. She's not. She's really not particularly like super strong really she's just very crafty she has the sort of uh the sort of wrestling heel kind of thing going on where it's like she knows kind of when to get out of get out and just be like oh nope nope too strong and then kind of sneak back in and like get what she wants so like she because she fights what she fights glimmer who has like all these magical abilities she fights shira like toe to toe basically and shira's way stronger than her um, she fights, uh, what's the, what's the lizard guy? Um, uh, Rohelio? Yeah. No, no, no. No, um, the, uh. Tongue Lashore. Tongue Lashore. Oh, yeah. Who's probably str- uh, and stronger that, than that her. And that whip comes out again in this episode. I don't know where she was keeping it, but she suddenly has it. That's the most, the, 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 I, I want, do want to say the most Vegeta thing that she's done in the show was the Tongue Lasher fight when that happened. <laughs> because she, like, takes his jacket and, like, all that, that whole thing was, like, a total Vegeta thing. That was the, the, that drove me crazy. I love that so much. So we know how the fandom likes to ship Catradora and really so many pairs of characters, but I don't feel like there's a lot of glimmer Catra shipping, which is interesting, especially because this episode has the line, you even taste like glitter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, yeah, I, I've seen Glimmer and Adora. I mean, I, I think I've seen some fan art for every ship there is at this point, but I think, I think this ship's going to sail a lot more after this season. Yes. I feel like that would be a nightmare. Glimmer and Cat. Oh, God. Can you imagine? It's one of those, like, mutual codependent destructive relationships. 
This was, in my opinion, the coolest action sequence in the season. And there are big action sequences coming in several episodes in the future. But that moment where Glimmer's ankle gets caught and she's pulled back off of sort of the rafters while she's very um, just manically throwing glitter and sparkles and lasers she like blows up the whole ceiling and there's the slow motion of both of them falling with all of this fire. Not only brilliantly animated, but uh, also shows us how out of control I think both of those characters are. In, in battle, I don't think either one of them really has their own skill set locked down yet. We always see Catra being very fast and jumping around. But she's not super accurate, and she her her mind gets the best of her sometimes. She when she's taunting or distracted by Adora, and Glimmer just still has this immense new power, and she doesn't really know what she's doing with it yet either. And so this is an, a super destructive fight. It's, it's awesome to watch and like kind of scary. It's like it's such a thing with the show because I mean the main character is it's the same thing. Like she doesn't so much of the time. Uh, Shira doesn't really know how to use her own strength. Um, like, she's gotten better at it. But, like, yeah, that's, like, a theme kind of with, with so many characters. That's actually a point that I admire about this episode, though, is we see both the rebellion and Shira herself becoming better and better. There's a lot of background characters that are from the various, like, races and towns that we've met that are now clearly just part of the rebellion. They're growing in numbers. But then Shira knows how to heal now, too. She heals Bo. I was just going to say, but I th- did Bo almost die in this episode? I think he may have. I think he came pretty close. I think if Shira hadn't healed him, yeah. he could have. I yeah. think if she didn't know how to heal him cuz he got he got the 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 brunt of that uh that cannon. It was pretty brutal. That was pretty rough. Yeah. Absolutely. It was memorable in world too because in that scene with double trouble kind of mimicking everybody the funniest line in the episode to me was when they were Bo saying oh they got me in the abs <laughs> yeah they say something like which is the most vulnerable part of the body because i can't afford a real shirt yeah <laughs> but that was also brutal too cuz 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 they were talking about that and then catcher was just like uh did he actually blow i hope he actually did get blown up She's basically just like, oh, I, I hope he's dead. And she's like, no, no, he's not dead. And it's like, yikes. Yeah, Jeez. It's really becoming harder and harder for me to accept the idea that Catra's coming back. Because, yeah, she does just want people to literally die. Oh, I don't, yeah, I don't see, I don't know even know how. they. I mean, at the end of the last season, they literally, I think, were just like, you can join the good guys. Like, like I think... Uh, a Shadow Weaver offer. It is. It. It's Shadow Weaver. Yeah. The offer. And it's, and she was just like, no. <laughs> we actually, uh, this might be a decent time to at least bring in part of a fan letter. Uh, our listener Agata in Brazil, who we've heard from before, wrote us a really long and heartfelt letter. I couldn't even begin to get into all of it uh, because a lot of it is very personal. And we appreciate that this show can be a safe space that affects you so positively in that way. Thank you. But there is a line about Catra that I think is relevant. So uh, talking about Scorpia, it broke my heart seeing her suffer over Catra. I totally related to that situation. Being friends with a person who ends up becoming toxic because of their hurt and trying to help is difficult and hurtful. Uh, especially when it seems like the person isn't progressing at all, and sometimes there is nothing we can do. It's all up to them, and we feel useless. And I think that's where Catra is. A lot of people tried to help her, tried to be her friend and reach out to her, and now if Catra can, no pun intended, claw her way out of this, it's going to be her alone. She's, she's I think, turned away all the help through this journey she could have gotten. Yeah, I mean, that, that's why it made sense, like you said, that it would make sense for her to just take over. Because <laughs> then it's like, oh, if she's the leader of every, if she takes Hordak's place, you know, who does Hordak have? Well, I guess besides Entrapta. Um, not anymore. Not anymore, but, but, you know, for all the shippers out there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, I mean, they hit that pretty hard. The, the, that was one of the craziest things in the last season, that they were just hitting that. And it's like, you know what? Respect. Oh, they Respect the decision. Um, did not expect it. Go for it. Um, but no, yeah, that's why that made sense to me. It's like, yeah, where, where else is she going to end up? Uh, it seems like that's the only place where she could go to have some degree of 
success, you know, because if not that, then I don't know what at this point. There is a strong question near the end of this episode, and it comes from the fact that the good guys, at least on paper, get the W. They win. And they're not super comfortable with the fact that they won based on the means that Glimmer used, uh, you know, the, the dark magic. And like I said earlier, uh, you know, Glimmer justifies it by saying more people would have gotten hurt and she's not wrong. But, uh, you know, the Shiraz and the bows of the world start kind of asking, where are we willing to draw the line? You know, is all fair in love and war, as they say? Are we going to win by any means necessary? Or do we have some things that we just won't do and we just won't accept? It kind of reminded me of like having a like a wartime treaty, like some things are war crimes. And would we decide in this universe that using dark magic is a war crime or not? Is it off the table? And Glimmer really starts saying, maybe, maybe as queen, she'll do anything. I'd like to see more in the next season or seasons, depending on what we have, of asking that. Like, how close do we become to being like our enemies if we start accepting their tactics as our own? Lauren, it almost sounds like you could connect this to modern day politics. It almost does. No, I don't think so. I don't don't see the correlation. (laughs) Sorry, you lost me. (laughs) I think it speaks for itself, but we see not only the United States, but a lot of forces in the world. You know, is it okay to kill, period? Is it okay to kill in large quantities? If we do, what is an acceptable level of killing? Who is a bad guy? Is it okay to hurt a bad guy but not a good guy? What does that mean? We, I think especially when it comes to terrorism and when it comes to even, you know, squishier stuff like cyber warfare and invading people's privacy and sort of more espionage type stuff like that. I mean, if you start doing the damage that is done to you, are you still on the right side of history? And I'm really worried that a lot of a lot of recent history maybe isn't so great for us, you guys. <laughs> I don't know. Are we the baddies? I don't know if it's just recent history. I caught the reference. We have to ask that question. Yeah, fair. Uh, speaking of, I guess I could talk to the other part of Agatha's letter. So like I said... Uh, Agatha's from Brazil, and we have quite a few friends in Brazil and Venezuela. And uh, I'm just going to try to summarize here, I guess. Uh, Agatha was saying that the elections that happened over in Brazil were a huge uh, pain point for a lot of people, especially progressives and members of the LGBT community. Bolsonaro is the current leader of Brazil, and according to Agatha... There was some discussion in sort of the far right of Brazil that if Bolsonaro was elected, there would be genocide of the gay community. I think kind of in the same way that when Trump was being elected, you started hearing like, yeah, he's going to send you back to Mexico. In Brazil, the Bolsonaro language was like he's going to harm or literally murder the LGBTQ community. And so... The fact that that person still gets to lead the nation is something very difficult for uh, listeners like Agatha to accept because you live in a world that you think is better than that and will make a kinder and um, more accepting and loving choice than that. And just like we saw in our country, that's not always how it goes. And Agatha wrote... uh, We're in different countries, but we have similar situations. Perhaps all the world is like this. Uh, And that that really hurts me to read. Um, I have had that thought, you know, when people say America, love it or leave it. I often go, where am I going to go? Because you see Brexit happening and you see Russia and Ukraine and you see this happening in Brazil. Uh, Agatha was very inspired by Mary Elizabeth McGlynn uh, when she was on our show and sort of the speech about staying and fighting where you are and telling the truth where you are and just digging in and protecting where you live. Because if the whole world is like this, then all we have is who we're with and where we live. So thank you for that uh, very vulnerable and uh, open letter. And we're glad that hearing about what's going on here in America is sort of a comfort to you. And I hope uh, you and your friends over there 
can stick together just like the best friend squad through these hard times. Uh, well, I think that brings us to the end of today's discussion. Uh, I want to thank uh, Agata for her wonderful letter and everyone who's written in. I know I owe at least one person a shout out on air and we're coming, I promise. Uh, Sean, thank you for being here. Thank you. This is the thrill of a lifetime. Very exciting Even to be on the show. More I love th- it. thrilling than when Jonathan Frakes spoke to you. Uh, yes. Wait, <laughs> emphatically. they had to pay Jonathan Frakes just like just like Double Trouble had to be paid. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Very Everyone's similar. dirty work is yeah. being done with money. <laughs> I, I hope if... $100. $100. I know, $100 I know he's That not- they paid... To do a dumb joke at my expense, and that was a thing that I was just like, "You, you, I didn't pay this money. You did." So I don't know why. I don't know why. Don't know why. I know he's funny not- to an audience of ten people. <laughs> he's not listening, but I hope Chris Geiger appreciates my spreading his oh. horrible trolling. Oh, I'm sure Chris is very, very, very happy. <laughs> a terrible anyway. man. If you terrible. have a hundred dollars, don't spend it on something like that. Give it to charity, please. Seriously. Anyway, yeah, yeah, Sean. you listening? Thank you. Are you listening? He's not. Grayson, Chris. <laughs> so, Sean, where can people find uh, yourself or Doctor Hornet? Uh, sure. So, uh, for the the Doctor Hornet show, the, the Hornet's Nest, I sometimes call it the Doctor Hornet show. Uh, you can find that on uh, find it on really anywhere you can find pocket like iTunes, Spotify. Uh, the it's on the Nerdalogs. It's hosted by the Nerdalogs. Uh, the website it's just like what nerdalogs.com. Correct. Uh, and just go to the podcast section, and the Hornet's Nest will be there. Uh, I also let's see what else can I plug? I make comics. Um, I do a comic I've been running for a little while called Lil Jabroni, and uh, that's just Lil Jabroni L I L Jabroni spelled the way the Rock would spell it G A A B R O N I dot wordpress.com and i'm on i post a lot of little comics on twitter uh twitter it's just at jabroni sean s-e-a-n uh yeah that's that's basically it so i'm gonna put you in the driver's seat one more time if dr hornet was closing out this episode what would now we always use listen to your heart by Roxette. okay but if you if dr hornet was closing this show what would the closing song be uh let's see oh what's a good one use a a, a suzy quattro song uh, 48 Crash by Susie Quattro. Use that. That would be a good one. It's like a glam rock uh, song. Love it. Let's do it. It's not Kool-Aid, man. I hope you're okay with that, Lauren. I guess so. <laughs> Don't you mean, oh, oh. no? <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to she Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower. <laughs>